we don't really recover who we were before. What we do is we discover who we're going to be next because all our experiences affect us and we grow and we change. Hello, I'm Kate Daniel. I work in the media team at the University of Portsmouth and today I've been talking to Dr Sandy Walker, a hippie scientist, someone with armfuls of respectful curiosity about mental health, whether we're facing a crisis because of COVID, whether we're seeing a rise in mental health problems in general and what to do about it. I'm Sandy Walker and I'm a Senior Teaching Fellow at Portsmouth University and I teach all topics around mental health, predominantly to mental health student nurses but also to other healthcare professionals. Very much a focus of my career is looking at issues around self-harm and suicide and I've been a mental health nurse since 1980-something. Your clients that you work with, that you do one-to-ones with and the people you teach are so lucky to have someone so passionate. Passionate is definitely the word, yeah. There's gifts in everything, you know, in every conversation you have with someone. There's something that you didn't know before, if it's about them or about how they manage life. And there's things like, oh, that's a good idea. I'll try that. You know, part of my healing journey from childhood trauma has been living what I teach and practice. Do you think mental health crises have increased in UK or or worldwide, or are we getting better at diagnosing it? Whether we are having more mental health crises than we used to, I'm not sure, because years ago we wouldn't necessarily have measured that. What we do have is a society where these things are more brought into the open. They've spoken about more, and so it certainly appears that there's, there's more mental health crises going on. What we also have is a really maddening society. (laughs) We've set up this society that makes no sense, really. We're all running around being told that we need to have, you know, the best cars, the best house, and you, you need to be married and you should be happy all the time. And any spiritual practice will tell you that that's not the best way to find contentment and happiness within yourself and peace. I think possibly that has created an environment where mental health crises are more likely to to occur. I don't really, on the whole, hold with many of the diagnoses that we use. As a society, we like to label things and put things in boxes and try and make sense of life and the world. And part of the way we've done that in in the world of mental health is to use diagnoses to label different sets of behaviours. And very often those behaviours come about because of life experiences crises that happen like somebody dying somebody dear to you that's gone I mean that's going to create an existential crisis for anyone you know and very often what happens to us is the thing that causes the mental health crisis. So are you proposing suggesting that it might be healthier for us to see something such as a crisis when someone close to us dies or or something awful happens to us, to see it as a, a, an organic moving part of life and we will move through it. We are whole beings, uh, a massive biology, chemistry, you know, physics, <laughs> psychology, emotions, you know, hormones, neurotransmitters, all these things, they all kind of enmesh together and then they're all influenced by the environment, things that happen to us, our relationships with others and so on. And we've got the history of things that have happened to us, life as it is now, and the things like that we have no control over, many of those things, 
like the pandemic, which is, you know, just happening, you know, wow, who, who could have predicted that? All these uncertainties that we have to manage, all of that together creates a kind of rich soup, um, which is sometimes going to be, you know, pretty stinky and off. If someone is worried about their own mental health or that of someone they, they love or care for, hmm. when do they know it's time to seek a professional's help or insight? At the end of the day, it's important to remember that the individual who's suffering, say it's somebody that you're, you're with um, or in distress, still, even though they're in distress, they are the ones who have the answers to all of their problems. Each one of us holds our own answers. So the role of those of us who would like to help people in distress is to help that person figure out what those answers are. Because if you remember, you know, if yourself when you're in distress, you can't always see the wood for the trees kind of thing. You can't see what the answers are for yourself because it's much more complicated. And you're embroiled in the emotions of whatever's going on and the distress of what's going on. It's generally down to how long things go on for. It's not always because if you've been bereaved of somebody, your life partner, for example, you, it can be years, it could be decades before you've got through all of that. The degree to which whatever it is that you're experiencing is, is interfering with your life and preventing you from actively participating in your own life. That, again, needs to be judged by you, not by other people. So other people could ask you, how, you know, are you managing with your life kind of now? And if the answer to that is, well, not really, well, then probably some support is needed of some kind. And then maybe it's not a professional because at the end of the day, professional support in terms of like secondary mental health services are only available to a very small amount of people. So a lot of mental health care and a lot of mental health support needs to come from the community. If you're finding that someone is hopeless and can't see a life for themselves, at that point, that's a real red flag and I would be definitely involving um, professionals at that point to ask for help. There is an approach to life that I think really works in terms of how to talk to other people, how to ask those questions of those that you're maybe concerned about um, and those kind of things, because it's important to ask questions when you have that gut feeling that something is maybe not quite right and you're wanting to encourage someone to perhaps open up and share with you so that you can ascertain whether they might need help or not. Um, and that is a concept really rather than a, a thing to say, but it's, a, it's a, about respectful curiosity. When we become distressed, sometimes we do get lost in it. We get caught in that mire of low mood. We get caught in the anxiety of something and making up stories about what's going to happen or what might happen, the what-ifs of life, you know. And as uh, somebody concerned about someone else, if you can maintain a stance of respectful curiosity, then I think you can encourage people to open up. And I like to think of people being on a voyage of discovery rather than recovery, which is a concept that's used in mental health care a lot, because actually we don't really recover who we were before. What we do is we discover who we're going to be next because all our experiences affect us and we grow and we change. And hopefully we come out the other side of whatever's happened to us, a shinier, nicer, more resilient, stronger person. Do you want to talk any more about how we become more literate, individually and as a society, about mental health? The opening of a generous space in which to say, I'm not OK, seems yeah. to be there now, which wasn't, yeah. I don't think, there a decade ago. One really big step will be 
to stop thinking of mental health as different to physical health because actually they are the same. So if we can think of ourselves as whole beings <laughs> that need care, nurture, attention, support, self-love, it is first and foremost really important to look after yourself and to care for yourself. And as you learn to care and nurture yourself more fully, you naturally care and nurture others. I'm not religious, just to be clear, but I'm spiritual. And I think that's really important. It's an important aspect of being human. All the spiritual pathways that exist will all tell you that it's important that you love yourself. That that's The answers are there. The answers are all within you and they're generally to do with learning to love and nurture yourself and to accept yourself as you are. And in doing that, you then naturally do that for the rest of the world. So that would be that would be one thing that I think will make a huge difference to community resilience and, and well-being. If you're thinking just the pandemic, and you have the gifts, if you like, at one end of a scale of, of more time and space, perhaps a pause, it's hitting a reset button and macro and micro level. But the isolation, um, some individuals, many probably, have, have felt extreme isolation. Is there any good to be found in, in isolation? Is it all bad or, or is it shades of grey? Well, most things are shades of grey, and I would say the same with isolation. Depending, again, often you hear people talked of in terms of introverts and extroverts. Again, that's a bit black and white because it's never as straightforward in that, as that. But um, the more introverted you are, the easier you probably will have found the situation with lockdowns. The more extroverted you are, the more you rely on other people to sort of bounce ideas off of or to energise you. Um, the more difficult it will have been. And some people have so seriously struggled with that isolation. Um, I did some research with the Clark, it was called then, um, which is now called the Wessex Ark, I think it's called now. Um, and one of the things that was a bit of a surprise that I found in that was isolation is actually quite healing at times. But there's a point at which, for each individual, that point will be different, that that isolation becomes no longer beneficial and tips into being difficult and damaging, potentially. That makes the whole world of mental health, sums it up in a nutshell in a way, how difficult the world of mental health can be, is that we're all individuals and those tipping points are different for all of us. And that will have been the same throughout the pandemic, you know, so for some people that they may have found the first lockdown bearable, the second one, well, it was kind of in the summer, more in the summer, was it, towards the end of the summer? So we had the outdoors but then the third one, a lot of people have gone, oh, no, it's too much. I can't cope. And completely different circumstances. Someone might have lost their business in the first yeah. one and be, have, be employed by the third one or whatever. It's about that. What it seems to be, if I'm understanding you correctly, this wholeness of a person on every yeah. emotional, mental, spiritual. Environmental. Everything. You know, your, your work, your, the world that you're in. I was going to ask you, do you have any tips for safeguarding mental health for individuals, perhaps? I think it's it's good to broaden your thinking around, you know, the, and to remember that life is, life is difficult. And there's so much uncertainty around us all the time. We cannot actually control much of what happens to us. So there's something about letting go of the need to control it if we can and accepting that life will happen. And then it's what we do with that. Um, I think it helps you to be more compassionate to yourself as well if you can understand that all of those things going on 
if your neighbour was going through that, would you be so cruel to your neighbour as you're being to yourself about things? Why do we expect ourselves to cope? And we don't necessarily expect others to when they've gone through some really awful things or even just there's been a prolonged period of, of, of isolations we were just talking about and you're not coping with it as well as next door is. Well, you're different people. You have different needs. You know, you have different life setups and so on. So it's something there about being compassionate to yourself as well and thinking more broadly around it, I think, if we can. My top tips are always um, kind of around the importance of learning who we are as individuals. So there's something about going within and learning who we are, learning to love yourself and to understand what your needs are and what your boundaries are and the things that you need yourself and what you, that you can facilitate to help yourself to feel safe and safe and secure um, and, you know, loved and so on. That's a whole life's journey doing that, you know. We're n none of us really are perfect in terms of what society tells us is perfect, depending on which generation you were born in, you know, it'll be different. But we're all perfectly imperfect. <laughs> Do what you love as much as you possibly can. And be creative if you can. So that would be another thing. And um, I think the biggest thing, or well, one of the biggest things that I found useful was learning that what other people do and say is about them. And it is not about you. And even though it feels very personal sometimes, it actually isn't about you. It doesn't say anything about you and your value as a person. It says everything about them. Thanks so much for listening. You can hear more of our academics at the University of Portsmouth talking about their areas of expertise on port.ac.uk slash news.